So, have you thought about relationships in the Bible? We're doing a series on uh, following spiritual priorities, and and one of the relation one of the issues we have is our relationships. Have you thought about the relationships that exist in the Bible? In the Bible, there's some really neat relationships, right? There's some really close friendships. There's some great love. There's people who partner and travel and serve God together and, and love the Lord. Uh, there's friendships and there's families who serve God for generations. And there's closeness and there's love and there's joy. But there's some other relationships mentioned in the Bible too. There's lying and abuse and murder and rape and anger and hatred and bloodshed and harlots and incest and lots and lots and lots of tears. The only relationship that's absolutely 100% pure when someone was on the earth was Jesus' relationship with his Father in heaven. All other relationships can sometimes be a mess. In the best of relationships, and, and I, I mean, I know there's really close friendships, but, but my closest friendship and my marriage happen to be the, the same. And so in the best of relationships, there's still some tension sometimes. And so what we're going to look at this morning from the Scripture, and eventually, uh, we're not going to start there, but eventually we'll be in in Galatians chapter 6. So if you turn there, then you'll be ready for when we get there. Uh, But looking at five ways to improve your relationships. All right, now, I've got to tell you something. I don't do well at all five of these all the time. Uh, There's some that I struggle with, I work at. and, And this one, the first one, is the one that maybe has been a attention in my life at different times, and that is become a better listener. You know, when I, I, before I became the pastor here 21 and a half years ago, I pastored a hundred miles away in a small town south of Tucson called Saurita, and it's between Tucson and Green Valley, if you know that area. It's just north of Green Valley. And when we went there, it wasn't a city. It became a city while we were there. And uh, it was just county land when we were there. But but when I became the pastor of that church, when, when a church calls a pastor, that he comes and he candidates. And so uh, that I the first Sunday I preached there, and then all during the week I met with people, and the second Sunday I preached, and then they had an open forum where anyone in the congregation could ask me a question. And one of the guys in the congregation raised his hand. He was a big guy. He made me look a little short. And he raised his hand and he said, How good of a listener are you? I said, Ah. Uh? And I, what I was, honestly, I was afraid to look at my wife. Because I didn't want to see. <laughs> but, but what if... We could ask you, how good of a listener are you? What would the people who are closest to you think you listen well? Or would it be kind of like that old say, water off a duck's back? You know, just hearing God. So become a better listener. 
Now, if you read through the book of Proverbs, there's more than a dozen verses that talk about hearkening to the Lord, listening to the Lord, paying attention. Uh, People don't pay attention. In in fact, uh, Moses complained about the Israelites not listening. I've given cards out to eight people to read at different times. And so I have one that's Deuteronomy 143. If you have that, just stand and read it loudly. You, you wouldn't listen, Moses said. And so uh, we, from the very beginning, this was the beginning of Scripture, and there's the people God has chosen as his own, and the leader that God chose and put in there said, they're not listening. And the Lord complained about his people not listening to his word in Jeremiah 29:17. They weren't listening to the word of God. And then Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there's seven letters to seven churches. And five of those churches, he complained about problems in the church. But to all seven, seven out of seven, he gave the exact same instruction. So, if you have one of those verses, just stand and, and then I'll read off the reference and you read your verse, okay? Revelation 2.7 Revelation 2.11 Revelation 2.17 Revelation 2.29 Revelation 3.6 Revelation 3.13. Revelation 3.22. Did you notice a pattern there? <laughs> did, did you catch on to a theme? I, I, God is telling His churches, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to His churches, He's saying, pay attention, listen up. Because naturally, we're not good listeners. How many of you had a mom or a school teacher tell you, God gave you two ears and one mouth. You're supposed to use it. How many of you got, yeah. For some reason, I heard that a lot when I was a kid. I'm not sure why. But, but listen, here's some things you can do to become a better listener. Listen to understand, not respond. Have you ever watched the political debates? How well do they listen to each other? They listen just enough to be able to attack the other guy or girl. That's all. They they listen just enough to be able to attack their opponent. They don't really listen. I I don't actually watch the political debates. Maybe I should. I try and be an informed voter, but I don't want to give two hours of my life to that personally. I know people who love it. They hang out every word. But, but I would love to watch the debates if when one person shared something, someone else said, well, that's very interesting. You know, if we make a little adjustment here, I think we could make that work. But that doesn't happen. So listen to understand, not to respond. And parents, this is true even with your kids. Admittedly, some kids make it really hard to listen. They can't get a full sentence out. They start, and it's fragments, and it's repeated. And listen 
to understand, not just to respond. Secondly, actively listen. Now, what does it mean to actively listen? Well, if you're hard of hearing like me, and my left ear's mostly deaf and my right ear's not, uh, it's, it's not fully deaf, but when I have this on, I can't put my hearing aid in this ear. But normally, if I have both hearing aids in and somebody's talking to me and I'm having trouble, I, I lean toward them a little and I turn my less bad ear. I used to say I'd turn my good ear, but <laughs> neither one are very good. So I turn my less bad ear toward them. And you're actively listening. So when you're actively listening, some, something that I have developed, a discipline, is um, if I'm typing on my computer or something and uh, somebody wants to talk to me, I try and just look directly at them. And what I do at home is I close my laptop so that I can't see anything on there and be distracted by it, and now I can listen. In fact, recently, Megan was trying to tell me something, and I didn't have my hearing aids in. I'm not exactly sure what was going on that day, but I wasn't wearing them. And so I just walked away and didn't hear anything. And so Megan turned to Kathy and said something like, he can't hear anything when he doesn't have his hearing aids in. And Kathy said something like, what? <laughs> he can't what? Oh, uh, but, but listen, a- as you get older or harder of hearing, listening's more difficult. In fact, it becomes quite comical when somebody says something and, and you're hard of hearing, then you try and say it back to them and it's way different. Uh, but that's something else you do. Actively listen and then repeat their words back to them to make sure you understand. You know, it, it's pl- like playing catchphrase sometimes, isn't it? But you can work to be a better listener. And make sure you hear them accurately. And then listen to their heart, not just their words. See, Jesus was writing letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And to each of those seven churches, he said exactly the same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Listen. Pay attention. And we need to become better listeners. There's also a trick you can do if you're a lady who lives with a guy who doesn't pay attention very well or something like that. When you want to talk to him, you can put your hand on his shoulder. And if he doesn't pay attention, then you put him on his neck. No. Um, just put, put your hand on his shoulder, and then he'll know you're talking to him right? I mean, when, when Kathy and I were home alone, you know, and she started talking, I said, what? Were, were you talking to me? She said, you're the only other person in the house. And so I thought, well, she could have been on her cell phone. She could have been praying aloud to God. So get their attention. You can call their name. You can touch their shoulder. But then listen when someone's talking to you. Don't just tune it out. Don't give them the, yeah, 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 yeah. Become a better listener. Everyone can do this, even if you're hard of hearing. And so actively listen. Listen not uh, to understand and not respond. And you can improve your relationships with other people by listening to them. In fact, repeatedly in the Old Testament, it said the problem with the nation of Israel was they weren't listening to God. You can learn to listen. 
All right, you're in Galatians chapter 6, right? So the second thing is, be committed to restoration, not condemnation. Restoration, not condemnation. Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, and by the way, that's like a male word, brethren, but it means family, believers in Christ, men and women, boys and girls. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness and meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You need to be committed to restoration, not to condemnation. So how do we do that? Well, first we show God's love, right? When people have sinned, they need someone who is spiritually minded to step up and help them. Someone has said, the Christian army is the only army that bayonets its own wounded. When someone has sinned, they need help getting back up. People are not perfect. Not you, not anybody. You could turn to anyone in the room and tell them, you're not perfect. Now, be careful. They may turn back and say, maybe not, but I'm better than you are. But listen, no one is perfect. So, people are not going to do the right thing all the time. But, but what did God do? How did Jesus show God's love to people who were still trapped in sin? Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for your sin. So when God looked at sinful people, He didn't just go, Ew. He said, I love you. And He gave his son, and Christ willingly died so that we could be saved. Jesus showed the love of God, even when people were rude and hateful and murderous toward him, he showed love. Showing God's love is an obligation. It really can be easy sometimes and really challenging other times, but it's something we need to work at and do. So uh, be committed to restoration, not condemnation. So the second part of that, first you show God's love, and then what's the next part? Share His truth. Share His truth. You show His love and share His truth. In, In fact, on the back of our bulletin, on the very back at the top, it says, Our purpose is to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. So we show His love and then we share His truth. Now, you cannot overlook sin. Restoration must include a call to repentance. Even if their sin hurt you, you can help them find their way to God. So look at what he says in verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. So restore them. You cannot restore someone without sharing God's truth with them. Now, even if their sin hurt you, It's your job to try and help them find their way to God. 
So there's two verses that, I, that help my brain focus right on this. And they balance each other and they bring the truth into uh, focus. Is John 3.17 and Matthew 4.17. So in John 3.17 it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He did not send Jesus to condemn, but to save. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to bring sinners back to God. And so if you're going to minister like Jesus, try and live like Jesus, then you don't be the one who brings condemnation. You seek to bring restoration. That Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world. But then Matthew 4.17, when Jesus began to preach, and it's recorded, he began to preach, the first word described in his beginning preaching was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say, God loves you, just be happy in his love, and feel good. He said, repent. You are to be an agent of restoration, not of condemnation. But in the restoration, you're calling people back to God. So please learn this, okay? God has not assigned you the ministry of bringing people to repentance. That's not your job. Some people try and do that. They try and badger people into repentance. They push and prod and poke. See, your job is to show His love and share His truth so the Holy Spirit can bring them to repentance. So let me share a couple qualifications of this restoration part with you, okay? First of all, don't be pushy. Don't hammer them with the Word of God. Don't take God's Word and cry and bop them over the head with it. You know, don't push and push and push. Share His truth, but don't be pushy. Share the truth clearly, and then if they're obnoxious and they push back against it, then don't keep doing it. Don't go every day and push God's Word on them and push God's Word on them. Most of the time, that just drives people away. Have you ever bought a used car? Anybody? Yeah. Are, are some used car people pushy? Yeah. You know, Kathy and I were at a dealership once, and uh, Jim Click Ford down in Tucson, uh, northwest side of Tucson, when we were living in Saborita, we drove up there, and we were looking for a car, and we went on that lot. They were having a big sale, and uh, it was... It was a big sale, and we were there, and we were planning to buy a car. We were having a lot of trouble with the one we had then. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, but every car we've ever had, we've had troubles with, right? Uh, and so we were up there to buy a new car, not brand new, but looking at used cars, and there was this salesman who was really pushy. And so I didn't want to do anything with him. So we walked away from him, and then I tried to talk to another salesman, and the first salesman, he's driving by in a golf cart, and he yells at the other one, Don't you talk to them! They're mine! And so I went, and I found the sales manager, and I told him, We drove on this lot today with the intention of buying a used car, but we're leaving because that salesman was so pushy, we're going somewhere else. And we got in our car and we left. Christians can be like that. 
Oh, we do it with the best of intention, right? We want them to get saved. But when you push and push and push, you push people away. You're not bringing them to the Lord. So uh, in your restoration, don't be pushy. And the second part is, some of you have had relationships that have been destroyed through the sinful acts of others, right? You've suffered physically, emotionally, financially because of the sinful acts of others. And so when it, when it says be an instrument of reconciliation, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, it doesn't mean you have to go give them a hug. It doesn't mean you have to want to sit by them. You don't have to give them time or give them money, but you cannot get in their way of repentance. You have to allow God to work in their lives. You need to make sure that what you do is not going to hinder God in the process of restoring people to himself. So sometimes you can be too harsh and drive people away. Other people are enablers. They want the person to stay connected and so they enable them and they make it easier and easier for that person to continue in their sin. And we're not supposed to do that either. So be committed to restoration, to bring people to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the conviction. You just show his love, share his truth, and let God do a great work in their heart. I've watched people walk away from the Lord, and I've been burdened, and I've prayed for them, and and I've cried over them. And when I've seen them, I've tried to just be friendly and not pushy, and it's been so exciting to see God do a work in their hearts and lives. And I'm so thankful there were believers who did that for me when I was not walking with the Lord. And they didn't push me, they didn't drive me, they didn't yell at me. They showed love, they shared truth, they were available. When I was ready to come back to God, they were there to help me. And you can be that person for someone else. All right, here's the third thing. What's the first one? Be a better listener. Some of you had to look down at your notes to tell that. You're not listening. I'm just saying, okay? Second one, of course, read it with me. Be committed to restoration, not condemnation. The third Help where you can. Help where you can. Right? Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this verse, and in this word, in the King James, they're the exact same words. Burden used two different times in this passage. But this one is an overwhelming burden. This is something that's too big for you. This is like a boulder or something. This is something that person can't do on their own, so you come alongside them and help them. You bear one another's burdens. Have you read in Luke chapter 10 the story of the Good Samaritan? What did the supposedly spiritual people do? The priest and the Levite. Yeah, they looked, in fact, one of them kind of walked up, the description show, kind of walked up, looked at that guy, and then turned and walked away. And and then the Samaritan, who, it's funny that the Lord used a Samaritan for that illustration. The Samaritan, what did he do? He saw the need, and he helped. And he ministered, and he cared. 
It cost him time. It cost him energy. It cost him money. But he helped because he could. Help where you can. Now, when you clearly see a need like the Good Samaritan, just jump in and help. There's a guy bleeding and half dead. What do you do? Oh, interesting. And walk away. No, you you help. And then if there's several options, what should you do? Well, you could pray about it. But if you're trying to help somebody and there's several ways that you can see things to help, ask them. Ask them. I'm going to get in trouble. Is that okay with you guys if I get in trouble? All right. I used to come home from work when I was a business manager, and I would come home from work, and I thought, Kathy needs a break. She's in the kitchen fixing supper. Sometimes I came home too late to have supper with the family, but I remember one night I came home, and she's fixing supper in the kitchen, and it was something I could do. I just kind of jumped in the kitchen, pushed her out, and took over, and got it all done. I thought, I'm a good guy, right? I'm a, I'm a sweet husband. I stepped in and did all that. She wasn't particularly thrilled. And I was shocked. So I asked her why. And she said something that blew me away. She said, it would have been more help if you'd taken the kids away and taken care of the kids because I've been dealing with them all day. And let me have some quiet time in the kitchen. You know how it would have been better? If I'd walked in the door, said, Hey, babe, is there something I can do to help? And what would she have said? Yes. Take your children and leave. No. <laughs> but, but see, if I had been listening to her need and really trying to help her, instead of just trying to be wonderful husband dude, I could have really ministered that day. Instead, I dropped the ball. At least I didn't drop the food, but I dropped the ball, right? So help where you can, and if you're not sure, ask. And by the way, when, when I was having a lot of trouble walking last year, a couple times I fell and Kathy had to pick me up off the floor. But when I got where I could walk again a little, and I still was a little unstable, and sometimes I would fall. Or I, I remember one time before Benjamin and Meredith moved away, I got on the floor to play with Margaret because we'd done that before. And we'd played blocks, and we'd get on the floor, and we'd play, and she'd build things on me and, and poke me and take a hammer and bang my head, you know. And, and we just had a blast together on the floor. I had a lot of fun. And then I tried to get up, and I couldn't. And so Meredith said, he needs help getting up. And Kathy just sat there, didn't move. <laughs> okay, she did the right thing, okay? I'm getting there. And I tried to get up again. It didn't work. Kathy just sat there. I tried a third time, and I finally sat back down. I said, hey, babe. I need some help. Can you pick me up? And she walked over and picked me right up. She could have done that the first time. But see, when, when you're trying to overcome, I was in physical therapy, I was working to, to get things back. 
you're supposed to do what you can do. And she waited until she knew I wanted and needed help. Then she stepped right in, got me on my feet. I was good to go. So if, if you're a person who feels like you need to bail your kids out or your grandkids out every time they mess up, you're hindering what the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life. Sometimes you have to let them have the natural consequences of their sinful choices and then assist them in coming back to God. Help where you can. So, verse 2 again, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help people. You're called to do this. God didn't say, hey, just be the best Christian you can be. He said, you be accountable to help others. And people can be overwhelmed by the circumstances and the pain of life. And you can help. First John 3.17 says, if you have this world's goods and you see a brother in need and shut up your heart from him, how does the love of God abide in you? If, if you're not moved with compassion to help other people, then you have a spiritual problem on the inside. So if you don't help, who will? Help where you can. Fourth, don't be overly needy. Don't be overly needy. When you look at that picture of that girl, what words come into your head? Pouty. Fussy. Pout. Yeah. So don't be overly needy. Now, sometimes people are takers, right? They'll take whatever they can get. And, and don't you be one of those people. Sometimes people just fuss like, I could have laid on the floor and just looked at Kathy and gone, <laughs> and she would have thought, well, maybe he needs help getting up. But she's smart enough not to just run and lift me up until I ask politely. You know? Thankfully, she doesn't have to do that. The other day, I dropped my keys, and she laughed. I, I picked them up, and she said, you know, last year, I'd have had to run around and pick them up for you. <laughs> so it's, it's a blessing to do better. But, but don't be overly needy. There are things you can do. Do what you can. Look at verse 4, Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Let each one examine his own work. And that word examine is you prove it. You, you like, like a scientific experiment, you evaluate your own stuff. Make sure you're doing right. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So there's a burden that's overwhelming. It's bigger than we can handle. Other people step in and help. So here's the analogy. Uh, in the first part, when you have a burden that you have to help share, it's like this massive load. And the second one, bear your own load, this is like a backpack. And so you put your own backpack on, and you carry your own load, and you do your own work, but when it's an overwhelming thing, if you go in the store and you buy certain things, and it comes in a box, and sometimes the box will say, this is a two-man lift. 
or a two-person lift, they say now. There's two-person lift. It takes two people because it's a big, heavy box. And so you get one on each end because it's not recommended that one person do it unless that person happens to be a former Marine who doesn't think they need help from anybody else, right? Uh, but but it's a, it's a two-person job. But listen, you have responsibility to do what you can do. Some people come to church and it's, how, how am I going to be blessed? Is the music going to encourage me, speak into my life? Is the message going to make a difference in my life? And, and when I leave, will I feel better for having been there? But what does God say about this assembly of believers? We talked about it last Sunday morning. Some things you should be doing is trying to encourage other people. And so don't walk in saying, who's going to make my life better? Walk in saying, who can I help? Who can I encourage? What can I do? And take care of your own responsibilities. Don't give up. Do what you can and accept help where it's truly needed. And don't be so stubborn that you're not willing to accept help. We had a couple of broken dishes in our kitchen last year because I was on my crutches trying to move dishes, and Kathy finally got it through to me, just sit in a chair and ask for help and let somebody help. It's cheaper. (laughs) So don't be overly needy, but don't feel like if it's something overwhelming, don't feel like you can't ask for help. A strong person asks for help when they need it. So do what you can to help other people, and don't be too needy. Don't be a greedy person. Don't be one who wants everybody else to take care of your needs. Don't be overly needy. Ministering to others can help you sometimes more than having somebody minister to you. You do what you can. You serve where you can. You enjoy God, and you minister, and God can encourage your heart and life. All right, Uh, Number five is focus on what you can change and then leave everything else with God. Focus on what you can change and leave everything else with God. Uh, Look down at verse 9, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or faint. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Focus on what you can change and then leave everything else to God. There's a lot of things that are just there. And we can fuss and we can pout and we can grumble and we can complain, but it's it's there. Somebody has said... If it's not something you can change, it's a fact of life. Just live with it. Just endure it. It's a fact of life. You can't do everything. There's sometimes, no matter how much energy you put in, how much prayer you put in, it's not going to change a circumstance. Yes, I know God can do the impossible. But I also know God often lets people live with the consequences of their own sinful choices. So, if somebody's treated you badly, you can tell God you feel bad, you feel frustrated. 
But don't spend the next 17 years of your life praying that God will make pay them back. Okay? Let it go. Leave it with God. And by the way, if you try and make somebody pay, you get in the way of what God wants to do. God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And if you're trying to be the one to make them pay, you're getting in the way of God. And hey, if God wants to smack somebody, you don't want to get in the way. You don't want to take that smack. So um, don't get cynical. Don't live in fear and dread. Do what you can today. Trust God for today. And then repeat tomorrow. We don't have a guarantee. Do what you can. Trust God with the rest. Keep doing what's right, even if no one notices. He says, uh, back in verse 9, Don't grow weary while doing good. I'm, some of you have tried to reach out to a neighbor, tried to help, and all they've done is fuss. And what do you do? Well, you just stop. You buy some spray paint, you tag their house. No, you don't. Please, do not leave here today saying, Hey, Mom, Dad, Pastor said I can go tag somebody's house. No, I did not. Okay? Bad illustration, but it's not permission. Okay? So focus on what you can change. Don't stop doing good. Hey, it seems like evil is winning, but it's not. God is in control, and those who pursue evil will stand before God in His righteous judgment. If they have not repented, they will be condemned and cast into hell and eventually the lake of fire. But our job is to just do good and trust Christ. One of the descriptions of Jesus that I find amazing is they, they describe Him in the New Testament as Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good. And I wonder if somebody was describing you that way. Would they describe you as your name of Arizona who went about doing good? We need to keep doing good. Don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if you do not lose heart. How many of you have ever been involved or been on a farm? Ever? Okay, what, what happens on a farm is when you get ready to have corn on a farm, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, you got to break up the soil. You go and you, you plow and you grate, you, you get it all broken up and nice, and then you put in seed, and then you put in water and fertilizer and stuff to help it grow, and then eventually you have corn. I was driving back from Coolidge once with my older son, Nathan, when he was still in high school, and, and we're driving along in the car, and there were cornfields, and we're driving on both sides of the road, big, tall cornfields. And I said to him, I said, man, I love to watch the corn grow. And he said, takes a while, doesn't it? <laughs> Did you know there's online things you can watch the corn grow? You can go, they have cameras on their farm and you can watch the daily progress of the corn growing. I've never logged on to it. I don't like it to watch it that much. 
But I'll tell you, when I was a kid in Nebraska, our backyard ended in a cornfield. So in the wintertime, it was all chopped up. They plowed it back into the soil, and, and the cows were all there, and I used to go run with the cows. I didn't tip them over. Some people think cow tipping is fun. I, that just seems mean. But I'd run with the cows, and one time, I didn't know it, there was a bull in there. It didn't like me being with the cows, and it came after me, and I ran screaming and dove through the barbed wire fence. I was so little. I dove right through the strands of barbed wire, and the bull slammed into it. And uh, thankfully, the Lord let me stay alive long enough that I could get saved, and then I'm still here. But, uh, but you know, it, it, they'd plant that corn, and it would grow, and we'd come home from school, and you could watch it and you see that and when it was big and full they were way over my head and uh, my mom used to laugh that my best friend was the cornfield I'd take off in that cornfield and I'd disappear for hours and she'd look out there she'd get in the upstairs window and look out and she'd see the corn moving over here and say oh that's where Terry is and then I'd move around and the farmer knew he let us in there he even let mom pull the ears off he really liked my mom and and we could have fresh corn right off right off the farm there. But you know it, it it took a while to see the fruit of it. It took a while to have the corn grow. If you stay faithful to God, if you love and serve him and you try to have relationships that honor him, you're going to see a benefit. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. It doesn't mean that person who's been a thorn in your side is going to come around on their knees and apologize and restore everything. But it does mean that someday you're going to stand before the Lord and every good thing you've ever done will be worth it in that day. Because Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, I will remember and I will reward you. There is a benefit. There is a blessing to honoring God in our relationships. So do what you can. Trust God for the rest. And tomorrow, do the same thing. You want to improve your relationships? What's the first thing? Listen. Become a better listener. And then be committed to restoration, not to condemnation. Focus on what you can do and leave everything else with God and help other people, but also do your own stuff and don't become overly needy. You have responsibilities. Step up and do what you can. You have to care for others. Step in and help while you can. And you know, I have found in my life that the relationships that I have with spiritually minded people, that's the best part of my life. It's not going on some exotic vacation, seeing some fantastic view. It's the people of God who minister into my life and I minister into theirs. That's the best part of my life. And God thought it was so important that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that he could raise up a people called by his own name who will love and serve and minister and grow and someday be in his presence together. So we can build relationships that help and we can be part of the answer in other people's lives. So... Did you listen? 
What does the Bible say? Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word. Do something about what you heard. 